You're listening to The Voluntary Life, where you can hear ideas for finding freedom in an unfree world. Visit thevoluntarylife.com to connect with the show and hear all past episodes. Here's your host, Jake. Hi, it's Jake here. Welcome to The Voluntary Life. This week's episode is from a recent appearance of mine on a podcast called The Sample Hour. It's a discussion between myself and the host, Drew Sample. Drew's podcast is about entrepreneurship and urban farming. He has a farm and lots of other topics too. And we had a wide ranging discussion talking mainly about entrepreneurship, but we also talk about motivation and the fear that motivates me. So I'm going to play you the recording of that discussion, starting just a little way in after the beginning. And I hope you find it interesting. Let's say somebody's listening, they haven't read your book, and they want to know, okay, what does unjobbing mean? So they're like, you know, maybe, maybe I'm not going to have a business that I can sell and make money, but there's another approach that I can do to, to get away from this job. Where would a person want to start out and start kind of looking at their life and figuring out, okay, what, what could I do differently? Well, I think the first question that I find helpful is, what is the ultimate goal that we're trying to get to? You know, what is it, if you want to change your life and you want to, if things are not the way that you want them to be, what's the goal? And the first thing that people think about is I, I want to be rich. You know, I, I want to be a millionaire. I want to be rich or something like that. And if you pursue that and think about that in, in more depth, then you think, well, why do I want to be rich? I want to be rich because I want to be free. I mean, that for me was the ultimate thing is it's like money in itself is just a tool. And the end goal is not money, but it's liberation. It's personal liberation. And once you start thinking in those terms, you realize, well, you don't necessarily need nearly as much money as you might think you need, because if the end goal is to be free, then you might need to be financially independent. That's one way of being free. And, and that's what I achieved through entrepreneurship. But then again, if you want to be free, maybe you just don't want to have to work in a job. You know, maybe you just want to be job free and be able to dictate your own terms of when and how you work and what you do with your life. So I think the really interesting question is, what is your end goal? What do you want your status to be that will make you happy. And for me, it was always more about being free than about um, being able to spend a huge amount on on cons- consumption. Um, but I wanted to try and think about different options for achieving that kind of job freedom, for, for living without a job, because I think that ultimately is is the thing that makes a lot of people really happy, is the idea of not having to work for somebody else, of being in control of their own lives and having that freedom. And so I wrote this book, Job Free, to really try and outline the different options that you have for achieving that kind of real tangible freedom that you can have in your own life. And the option that I took was through building a startup. That was building a company and building value in the company to a point where I could sell it and then have financial independence so I can now live from the proceeds of the sale of my business. But I knew when I wrote my first book, Becoming an Entrepreneur, and I had interesting feedback from people, that some people just don't like that idea, that lifestyle. And it is a super stressful lifestyle, building a startup. It's incredibly intense. It's uh, high risk. um, And it's super stressful. And I found it 
really exhilarating and really fun. And I think it's a great experience to have in life to build a startup. But I definitely understand that it's not the way that some people want to live, that some people don't want to take that kind of risk and don't want to have that level of stress. And so I started to think about, well, what are the different options for achieving job freedom that aren't necessarily the same route that I took? And you mentioned that I interviewed lots of different people on my podcast, and that was really what inspired me, was talking to other people who'd achieved freedom in their own ways that were different to mine, but they still managed to live without a job. And so, for example, another route that I discovered that a lot of people have taken is this idea of extreme saving, where you get a good job uh, that pays a decent salary, and then you just live really frugally and save 75% of your income uh, every month until you save so much that after about 10 years, you can essentially retire early and just live from the proceeds again of of, uh, what you've saved, live frugally. So that's another route. And then a third route is this idea of a lifestyle business where you, this is really the kind of Tim Ferriss four hour work week idea where you build a business that, that doesn't take a huge amount of time for you to run, but gives you the freedom to do what you like and just keeps providing this passive income every month coming in. And people who invest in property have that, have that concept as well. And then the last um, option is the one that you mentioned, which is unjobbing. And this is the idea that, you know, you can find a way to make ends meet by outside a job, by having various side hustles and maybe being a freelancer and maybe having multiple sources of income. And in doing so, you don't have a career and you don't have a job, but you have enough money to live in in the style of life that, that makes you feel happy. And most importantly, you have the freedom to do it on your own terms and to live in the way that you want to live. So that's the idea behind the book is to really outline these four different options, extreme saving, unjobbing, lifestyle businesses and startups, and to provide examples of real people who've taken one of these options or, or some people who've combined different ones, but to provide real case studies of people who've, who've actually done this and, and achieved uh, the kind of job freedom that I'm talking about through each of these different routes so that people who are interested in this can can read these different options and think, which one appeals to my personality and my tastes and which kind of route is something that I feel would be more in line with my own skills? Because there's definitely pros and cons to each of these routes. You know, there are upsides and downsides to each and you just have to choose which route you think is best for you. And of course you can combine them, but there's no right answer. It just depends on what your preferences are. And we can, we can certainly talk about the, the pros and cons, but that was the general idea that I have which provide these different options uh, that people can then use to, to think about what suits them. No, that's great. I enjoyed all of them. I remember uh, I always, I always respected the aggressive savers because those dudes, I remember one couple you interviewed, they were living in like some building owned by their church for dirt cheap. And they were just like, yeah, we're just saving 75% of our money. And then I think they were investing like a little bit like into uh, index funds or something like that and doing well. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's, it's really interesting, man. I, I think it's, it's, it's cool. See, I, I worked with one guy who saved aggressively, and he and I tried to like get him Harry Brown's books and try to get him to listen to your show. I'm like, 
look, man, this guy talks about people like you because he just like he was saving all of his money. But he's like, man, I don't know what to do. Like, I, I don't know what right. to do. Everyone's telling him to buy a house. He knew that was a bad idea. And uh, so it, I, I, I like that quite a bit. I, I think that I, I've kind of done like a mixture of startup mixed with uh, unjobbing personally right mm. now. And it's, it's like a, I, I do have some savings. I am trying to save. I mean, I'm trying to kind of just, just build my own way personally. But I just know I'm never, like I was talking to my dad. He's like, so what's your next job going to be? I'm like, dad, I'm, I'm not getting a job. Like this is, I gotta, I gotta do, I have to produce. Like I talk about this on my show. So I have to live the life that I, I talk about. And, uh, and, and so it's, uh, it's, it's good though. I, I enjoyed reading it, man, because it, it was something that, you know, it, it just gave me different ideas. So even if like I've, I've kind of pieced, taken principles from all of them and I'm, I'm kind of doing my own thing with it. Um, and it's maybe just because, I plan on just having a startup and just having a business and living that business and then die like dialing myself back and replacing myself in the business. Um, and I think that's still a major plan, but right now it was like, okay, well you don't have a job and that kind of came sooner than you thought. So you do have some savings, but let's make sure, you know, you can live off unemployment. So let's make sure, you know, you don't need any extra money until, you know, the season starts. So then it was, you know, let's really get into this frugality. What do I really need? What is this? And then something for me that was that's been really helpful. And I and I know you talked about this on uh, School Sucks podcast. Is you know, and and even we've talked about minimalism too. But I, I went through. I saw that uh, minimalism documentary that just came out. It was kind of a like those guys are kind of goofy, but I respect I respect their message. And and it was something that was very freeing for me. Was even though I I'd done it. I feel like I have to do it uh, like every six months is go back through stuff and get rid of more stuff. And it's right. and it's like, I, I, I'm like, why didn't I get rid of this before? And it's like, you, you don't see all your emotional attachments. And then something else too was, you know, having a clean bedroom, like making my bed every day uh, and having like this morning routine has been incredibly helpful as well. Um, just to, to get ready in the morning. Cause I'm, I'm such a, I think a lot of people that that are very liberty minded probably were diagnosed with ADD or oppositional defiance disorder like I was. But it's like, you know, if if I don't, I'll just I'll just say, "Well, let's see where this day takes me." Which which can be fun, but at the same time it, it a lot of times it's not very productive. So, um how Yeah, I I know exactly how you feel and uh, that's also something that Left to my natural inclination, I'm definitely of the of the let's just see how this day takes me variety of person. That's that's me, right? Yeah. And it's 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 a real learned behavior on my part to actually have a morning routine and think about, okay, what are the three most important things that I want to get done today? And to also do a weekly review and think about what are the things that I want to get done in the week ahead. Because I love interesting new opportunities and things coming up. But it's also, you know, if you do follow that, let's see where the day takes me idea, then you can often find that the day doesn't take you anywhere in particular related to your goals in life. And if you let too many days like that go by, then you don't get any, you don't get to, to, to live the life that you really want to live. So I have to really, uh, I had to really teach myself and I have to use discipline to to actually keep myself on those kind of routines in order to make sure that I am moving towards being the kind of person that I want to be because otherwise the temptation to 
just generally not not do very much at all is very great for me. Yeah. And so what are you so I, I think, you know, for somebody who who's let's say, you know, we're diving into this book. Um, and you do talk about this in the book too, forming good habits, and I, and you talk about it in your first book too. But just kind of for the listeners, um, you know, how much do you attribute your learned behavior just to to kind of just focusing on forming good habits? I mean, I mean, I think it's a pretty. I mean, I, I feel like I just asked you a pretty obviously answered question there, but you know, like a lot of people don't think that making their bed every day is going to make a difference, and it's it's really weird when you make your bed and then like I've been like what I'll do is I'll make my bed and then I'll do headspace and like meditate and then I'll write in my I start doing that five minute gratitude journal just to try to start mm. writing um and then it's and then I'll make like a list in uh, uh wonder list of okay this is what I want to get done today and in my journal every day it's like what would make today great it's like getting that list done and I try to I try to schedule things in my day for okay at this time I'm going to do this. I think that's what I'd 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 be better at in the long run is when I have blocks of time scheduled for different things. But like my inner rebel seems to just always want to fight that. Um, so it's just you know I just try to get stuff done. Um, you know, and and it's like it's amazing how much more productive I I've become or or just naturally like you know even down here. Like I'm, I made my dad's working down here and he works like six, 10 hour days a week. So I maybe just came down here. Like I only get a hangout. He only gets one day off when I'm down here, but it's like, you know, he's my dad. He's older. He probably, he doesn't have time to get a lot of stuff done. So I'm taking on his trash. I'm doing grocery shopping for him. I'm doing his dishes, just stuff like that, just to help him. Cause he's my dad and I love him. And it's like, you know, and it, but it's just like, if I just sat here, I'd just be miserable. Even though I'm in Florida even if I just went to the beach or something, like I, I, I feel good when I get stuff done. Like I feel like that maybe it's dopamine or something that goes off in your brain. Like even if it's not, even if I'm not accomplishing things for me, it's just like, you know, I, I feel so much f- more focused and driven in life for every day. Just I feel like I just put all these little deposits in my emotional bank account of accomplishment. Um, yeah, and I, I know exactly how you feel. Yeah, and I, I also keep going. I, I was just going to say. I don't know whether you experienced this, but I, I definitely have always had a fear of misliving, a fear of going through years and years, not doing what I think I should be doing with my life. And, and a fear of waking up one day and thinking, oh shit, you know, I've, I've, I've wasted my time. I don't want to feel that. And, um, and I think that fear has actually been an important motivator for me to really try and be productive because I've been through so many different iterations of different productivity habits and tools, and I've spent years and years reading about this stuff. And I, I settled on a kind of version of, of the getting things done approach. But even with that, I've, I've changed things up over the years and, and learned new things. So it's not so much the system that has, that has driven my productivity. It's been more, I've been driven by the need to feel like I'm doing something useful with my time so that I don't have that regret about missing out on the life that I want to live. And that fear has pushed me to really uh, try and, and find tools that will help me to, to achieve that, to, to live in a way that I get that, that feeling that you described, like, okay, good. I feel good that I've, I've done stuff with this day that is meaningful to me. That's not just been uh, stuff that other people think I should do or that was 
the stuff that I was just um, the default things that I did because I felt um, too lazy to to get anything else done. I definitely feel that push to make sure that I'm not wasting time because I don't believe in, I'm not religious. I don't believe in life after death or anything. And and so I, I feel like, okay, well, we're only going to get one shot. We might as well make the most of it. And and really the idea of, of getting to the end of my life and thinking, well, I just really wasted that time. Uh, that would be, that, that scares me. And that fear is what drives me. No, that makes a lot of sense. It's kind of, you know, the guy that referred me to your podcast, uh, Gino Denning, he said, my goal is just always to be a happy old man. And it's like, it's, yeah. it's like a simple goal, but then you think about it like, okay, so when I'm an old man, am I going to be happy if all I did was party with my friends or live for the weekend and get drunk and then feel miserable the next day and have to recover? And it's, it's, uh, no, I'm not like, and then it's, you know, or, or am I going to be happy if I'm, I'm so overweight and I'm not active at all and I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm out of touch with my body in a sense and I just ache all the time. No, like I got, I got to start taking care of myself. I know for me, it was when I was in my twenties, I like wrote off a lot of time in my twenties to, okay, you know what? I just got to make sure I get serious when I'm 30. And thankfully I, f- I feel like I have, like I'm, I'm going to be 32 next month, but it's, it's, uh, you know, I, I did spend a lot of years in my twenties climbing this corporate ladder at, at Verizon wireless and like being promised opportunities. And like when I didn't have a light at the end of the tunnel, like something more to move forward to, that was the most depressing because then all, mm. all I focused on was, okay, I'm going to get this promotion because like I was given all these responsibilities, but then it became a thing where I, I found myself in, in locations or stores. Like I, I'd be working with a good supervisor and it would be great. We'd have this awesome, like we, we'd be top in numbers. We'd have this awesome productivity sales reps that weren't normally performing or performing. And it was just really good positive environment because like it, it was just, it was a good supervisor. Me, it was just kind of a, a leader. And then what would happen is instead of me getting promoted, they would promote like a, a shittier rep or it was be like a p- political thing. And then they would put me with that person because they knew I could carry the weight. And then it was just like a very, a quickly unfulfilling thing, which is, you know, unfortunately what I knew before I started working there and then I'd forgotten, like, you know, that's to me, that's what's going to happen to you in corporate America or at a job or when you, when you're not your own boss or when you're not in control of that stuff. I mean, when you, when you give that power away to somebody else, they're not, they're, they don't have your best interests out for you. They have their own best interests out for them. And, Mm -hmm. um, and so that was kind of a thing. So then when I, when I, I went through, when I stopped working there and I, I took some time off and I, I cashed out my 401k and I was like, shit, I have no business plan. I have no, I don't have anything. I had this money I could live on. And then I started working some shitty jobs uh, just to kind of get by. And I, and I did enjoy my life. And that's when I started getting into like my podcasts and comedy stuff. And I was like, you know what? I, I do need money to to kind of have money to to work with too. Because like you said earlier, it's a tool to, to try to do different business things. Um, so when I took that job, my attitude from the start was this, you know, Tyler Durden attitude of, yo, I'm here to do my job and I'm going to do it and that's it. And so it was always like this game I'd play like, okay, the dress code is this. So I would be, if it was a pull, if as long as I have a collar, I would wear it. So towards the end, I was wearing like flannel shirts and I'd tuck them in and just like, just cause it was funny to me because we were in a call center and people were taking themselves too seriously. So 
and then and then we got and that was actually a funny thing. The day before we got laid off, I was told you cannot wear a flannel shirt today because there's uh the the execs coming in, and then we all got fired. So it was like this this funny thing to me because it was like you know this company doesn't care about us. Why does it matter? You know, I'm fitting this dress code, and then it was like. It's like the time where it's funny that I was right, but it, it changed a lot of people's lives and hopefully for the better. But people weren't as prepared as me. And uh, so I, I guess like to, to get to where what you were saying is like, I, f- I feel so much better now. And it was like this time when, when I was laid off, it was like, okay, I know what to do versus, you know, the, the time before when I was in between jobs and I was like, you know what, I'm going to finally start betting on myself and start a podcast but then it was like, okay, I've spent the last four years interviewing people like yourself and reading books and, and doing and trying to position myself to be ready for this event to happen because, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen for more people. I mean, these companies are going to get bigger and bigger and then they're going to lay more and more people off. And, it, and, and to me, it was like, you know, if the next job I'd even get, like I, I got in the mindset of, you know, don't expect this to last longer than two years because there's a good chance it's not going to. Um, and, and I think, Mm. I think it's just a real, a a reality people need to, to accept, which is where I think books like yours are so powerful because then it gets them thinking and it makes them so they can be prepared for the, you know, for when they get laid off. Cause I, I just think, I I don't want to sound pessimistic, but it's just the way that things are going in the market, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, the crazy thing is, is when you think about it. I was only ever trained in school to to seek out a job and try and keep a job. I mean, that's what my teachers taught me to do was look for jobs and think of myself as an employee. I mean, that's what we all get taught because the people who teach in schools are always employees. They're never entrepreneurs. And they're always people who've been employees their whole lives and they don't have any other concepts of how you survive in the world out there. I mean, of course, they know that entrepreneurs exist, but nobody gets taught to even think about that as an option in school. And so it's not surprising that people kind of get stuck thinking, well, I need to get a good job and then I need to switch from this job to the next job. And they get into that employee mindset and it's quite hard to break out of. I was lucky that I had a kind of mentor who was a very successful entrepreneur. And I got to see him and see what he was doing. And he really opened my eyes to the idea that, you know what, I could just actually have my own business and I could build my own thing. And that was a really inspirational influence on me. But a lot of people don't have um, a figure like that in their lives. And so they just think of of being an employee as, as the sort of default life plan. Yeah, and and it's it's just not like it's like I I, I just look at um I I just it, it's man, and I don't want to sound depressing to people, but it's it's just not a. I mean, sometimes you can make it work, but I think like it's harder to retire for sure unless you're doing an aggressive savings, um, like what you're talking about. But most people they get kids and they're not. I mean, I think even well, congratulations by the way, because you're a new father. Uh, correct. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. But I mean, even, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So even for you and Hannah who own your own stuff, I mean, bringing it, how much did like bringing a kid into the picture just kind of change everything? Um, did it, did it change everything? I mean, I, I know you're pretty together, so I'm kind of interested to hear this. Um, well, I have to say, I mean, one of the things that I've really, that has, has been great for me is because 
I focused so intensively on work and until the point where I sold my business and now I have that freedom. I'm very lucky that, I mean, I left it quite late to have kids, um, but I'm very lucky that I left it to a point where I am now able to have the bandwidth to be there and be around as a dad and spend quality time with my daughter and actually be involved in the process. And it is exhausting. I mean, I'm loving it. This is a really amazing experience and it does change everything. But I understand why if you're in the middle of working a job and then you have kids, you don't have a lot of bandwidth left to be thinking about your side hustles and your businesses no. and everything else. So it's it's really difficult. I mean, that's one thing that I think it, in in some ways, if you can swing it, that you can spend some time in your 20s just working your ass off and being like super focused, um, then if it pays off, then that can be good because then you can actually have time to be a parent and be involved in, in, you know, your kids' lives and be there as a parent. And, that, and that's something that I really value and I think is really important uh, for kids too. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's tricky. Uh, timing of when you're going to have a family um, for many of these different options is, is very difficult, especially if you want to do something like build a startup. I mean, I spent many years basically working seven days a week. I, re- I didn't really even have weekends and I, and my personal life certainly again? suffered for it. Yeah, you were living somewhere. I was like, in London. Yeah, but I remember you saying you're in like such a. I think you said you're in like a really small flat, and your you budget. Yeah, your, I, I your was, budget for yourself is incredibly low. Yeah, I was I was basically in a studio flat in central London. I didn't own a car. Didn't didn't uh, you know? Didn't buy a, a house or anything. I just worked. And I just worked really, really intensively on building this business. And in a way, I mean, that actually worked out quite well as a lifestyle because there wasn't much point in living in a bigger place because I was hardly ever at home. I was just working. I came home and went to sleep. And um, so I, I just focused very much on building the business. And then later, uh, once I got to sell the business, then I uh, obviously changed my lifestyle a lot. We moved out of London um, and moved first down to the coast in England. And then we've been traveling and, and we're back in England for the moment, but then we're going to go off traveling again. So definitely, um, that was a, a kind of lifestyle that was super intense and, and it definitely took a toll on my personal life as well. I mean, I was so work focused. I think the, 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 that's one of the downsides to the startup route is that it is all consuming. It just, it takes over your life. I was thinking about business problems all the time and it really does uh, just consume your whole life. On the other hand, for example, there are people who are extreme savers who have kids while they're saving and they manage to make that work because they just live super frugally and they, they just, that's kind of, they, they find an approach um, in extreme saving that, that kind of works for them. So you can do it that way. That's not the route that I took, but I have interviewed people who were um, extreme savers and who did manage to get to financial independence despite having built a family and had a couple of kids and so forth. And they just did it through this extremely frugal lifestyle. Yeah. And it's, um, and I've heard a couple like either, and you'll see that too, like the, uh, I think there was a guy, his wife would still, still worked, but he, he didn't have to anymore. And like, I think he said he would moon, like, I think he was like an engineer, that blogger, I forget what his name was. 
Yes, that's right. Yeah, he writes a blog called Root of Good, and his name's Justin. Yeah. And he's a good example. He had a couple of, they had a couple of kids. His wife has now retired, so they are both um, early retirees. But they have a couple of kids. But the, the, the way that it tends to work, if you're going to do that, is you need to be something like an engineer, something with, someone with a skill set that's quite valuable, that you can get a decent job in a field where you're probably going to have job security because you're a specialist and you know you you're kind of needed um in some very niche specialist way or something like that if you can do that and if you're earning a good income and then you know you you are very careful about how you live i mean for example he also lives i don't remember exactly where he lives but he lives like out of town somewhere in in somewhere where the housing costs are pretty low and so all of that time he was working, but he wasn't paying rent in, I don't know, San Francisco or somewhere like that, right? He, he, was, he was able to keep his living costs super low. And that's only possible if your job and can be in a place where that, that works and all that kind of stuff. So you have to find a way to make that work. It's not necessarily just going to fall into your lap. You've got to plan for it but it is possible to to pursue that kind of lifestyle and build a family earlier in my way you know i i just sort of did all of one thing and then all of the next thing so i i focused super massively intensively on work and now i'm really focusing intensively on on family you know i'm spending time quality time with my daughter every day and i'm able to be there for her and and spend quality time together with my wife as well and just really enjoy this time yeah, and has it changed your guys's uh the way you guys travel at all? I mean, do you guys still travel quite a bit? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely changed. I mean, it's it's changed everything really, but <laughs> the first the, the first most the most intense change was that we we sold everything, we left England, we went to Panama. We liked it so much in Panama that we decided this is great. We're going to stick around here for a while. There's lots of interesting stuff going on. I got involved in mentoring uh, young entrepreneurs in a really interesting program there. And we were basically kind of settling down in Panama and we figured it'd be a great place to start a family. And then the Zika virus came along and um, my wife had just got pregnant and the information about the risks of Zika to um, pregnant uh, pregnant women and to the fetus just coming out and it really didn't didn't look good and um we just decided well you know what given that we're minimalists given that we have this flexibility that we can go wherever we like it's not worth it let's just go let's just leave and the only place that we could have gone um in the americas that wasn't affected would have been canada and we weren't sure whether or not we would be able to stay there for the length of time and the visas and all this kind of stuff. So we just thought, okay, well, let's just go back to the UK because it'll be simple enough to do that. So that's why we came back. Ultimately, uh, we have kind of had to have a pause in our travel lifestyle because of that unexpected thing turning up. And that was all to do with thinking, well, we're not making just decisions for ourselves now. We have to make a decision in her best interest too. And if I was in my daughter's position, would I prefer to have dual nationality and the risk of Zika? Or would I say, you know what? I don't care about the dual nationality. I'd rather just be born healthy. I think I would choose the healthy. So we just decided, all right, well, let's go back to, to England. And so my daughter was born here in the UK, but we're, we're planning to, uh, to go traveling again. And I mean, in a way, this is going to be a great period up until she's say five or six. 
it's actually going to be a really good time to travel because we need to think later on what we're going to do about do we want to unschool or homeschool or will she want to be in, in a school of some kind? I mean, her opinion about it is going to be one factor in that and we don't know yet, but that's not necessarily going to be as easy to travel later on. So for the next four or five years is a really good time to travel and we're certainly planning to do more of that in the in the springtime when she's about nine months old. Um, we'll uh, we'll start thinking about heading off again. That's pretty awesome, man. That's uh, that's really it. And I think too, what, what kind of speaks to the freedom in your lifestyle is is you know, most people I know that got pregnant uh, in the United States. I mean, you're like, well, our chances are low, but for you, it's like, well, there's still a chance. We're going back to the UK. <laughs> it was like, yeah, yeah, and it's like, not many people have that kind of freedom in their life that they could just say, well, shit's bad here, so let's go. We don't have we don't have anything yeah. here, so let's get out of here. Um, all we need is yeah, each other. that was it. You know, in in a way, we 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 just thought, well, what's the point of having the freedom if you're not actually going to use it? You know, we yeah. might as well go because uh, we can. And so, yeah, yeah, we did. And I mean, you know, we may find later on that that um, that uh, it's you know the risk is is lower or whatever. But as it happens, Panama has been quite badly affected. There have been some cases there, and. And so, um, you know, I think it was it was the right move at the time. I think so too, man. I think that's uh, that's uh, that's good. I know the last time I talked to you, you were Airbnb in your place, um, and I think you said you were in Brighton at the time, and you were like, "Yeah, it's making money, but it's just too much of a hassle, so I'm just going to sell it." And, yeah. and it was like, man, that's pretty yeah. cool. Um, I was going to say something else, man, but that uh, kind of just threw me off. And I, I know one thing too. Um, and speaking of. And and I did want you to kind of share that story, but getting back to what we were talking about before, um, one thing too, when you were saying, you know, people that come home from work and then they're just beat and then they have to, you know, they're already tapped out with bandwidth. And another thing that I, I noticed, the first thing when I, when I wasn't working is how much easier it was to think, like how much easier it was to think about where I wanted to be, what I wanted to do where I wanted to go because I, I wasn't giving my 55 best hours of the week to somebody else. And, mm. and I think it's like, uh, that's a powerful thing because when I, when I have time to reflect on my day every day versus just always feeling like I'm in a rush, it's so much easier to, to get things accomplished and to get things done and to think things through like, Oh, well, Zika's dangerous. Does this really make sense for us? No, well, let's exercise our freedom. And I think a lot of people, if let's say you had a full-time job in Panama and you were just trying to make that lifestyle work, it would feel, it would be a lot more difficult because you, you don't have the, the freedom to, you, you just don't, it's, 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 you just don't have the, the time to, to dedicate to yourself, if that makes sense. It makes total sense to me. And that's one of the things that when I look at some options, life choices, like for example, extreme saving, we talked, we talked about that route, right? That route involves being an employee for at least 10 years and being super frugal. And one of the downsides to me is exactly what you just mentioned, Drew, which is, yeah, you know, every day you go to work and you, you're getting paid for it, but you're also, you've got to put your brain and your your energy and your life into that job and all of that time that you're spending on that job is time that you're not able to spend on your own plans and your dreams and the things that really matter to you and even if you're just working you know at the 
bare minimum level or, or acceptable level, it's still energy and time and you still have to put your creativity into it and use your imagination. And to a certain degree, that that's a scarce resource. You know, you don't you you can't get home at the end of the day and still be as imaginative and energetic and so forth as you were at nine o'clock in the morning. So I definitely think that's a downside to to that path that um I, I was never interested in in becoming an extreme saver. And I didn't really know about it in in the days when I was first learning about startups and entrepreneurship, but I don't think it would have appealed to me for that reason. I just don't like working for other people. And I just don't like the whole uh, drain of energy of, of, uh, that, that comes from having to think about stuff in a job. And so I can totally understand what you're saying about when you're out of the job, suddenly you've got a lot more headspace to actually start thinking about your own stuff. And that's true as well. If you become an entrepreneur and if you're starting your own business, it's exhausting but at least you're putting your creative energy into something that belongs to you. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's, that's something you can sell. You can't sell your job. You can't sell, like you can't die and pass your job on to your kids and nor would you probably really want to. And I think, uh, man, something else. Well, even this is interesting too. I remember in your book, you were talking about when you did sell your company, you had signed on like part of the, the sales agreement was that you would stay on, um, to help the transition. And then you kind of became an employee. Yeah. And I think, and I remember you talking about how much you hated it. Like it was just such a drag, like to, because it wasn't your company anymore. And then it's like, well, what, yeah. what the hell am I doing here? This isn't for me anymore. And like, just like that switch that changed in your brain, but it was like something necessary. And didn't you have to do that? Like, did you have to do that for two years or one year? Three years. Three years. Yeah. Three years. <laughs> yeah. That was, it was a long time. It's really tough. I think that's the one of the big downsides of the startup approach. I mean, my, three years is a long time. Uh, a lot of people um, do spend less time, <coughs> excuse me, because if you're selling a business that is very much focused on, um, let's say, uh, ownership of some kind of uh, technology or something like that, then you may not need to be there for that long. But because my business was also a service business, we were providing consultancy. There's a lot of people skills involved. So I needed to stay on for, for three years. And it's really difficult because in any situation like that, there are new owners with their own ideas and their own priorities and their priorities are not the same as yours when you were an owner. So it's really tough because you see people making decisions about your business that you would never have made. And from my perspective, those decisions were not the right ones. You know, obviously I would have made different decisions and it was painful to watch people, what I considered to be destroy value in, in things that I'd built. Now, obviously this is my perspective and they had different priorities and different agendas. And so what they were doing had a certain logic from their perspective, but yeah, it's really tough. It's really difficult to see um, somebody take the thing that you've spent so long uh, building and, and creating a company culture and a way of doing things and see that changed. And, uh, and it was a long, it was a long three years, that three years. Yeah. I'm sure that was the most exhausting process, which is probably like when you, I think you said when you got out, you were just like, I need to do something creative. So you did like, didn't you say you did like sketch comedy and you started really learning yeah, how to play yeah, music right. and everything? Probably as rehab. Yeah, the first, yeah, exactly. The first year was just, I, I just wanted to do, as much kind of creative improv type stuff. So I did some, some, uh, improv comedy. I joined a, like a comedy group and did some improv gigs. And then I, I joined 
a, a jazz school and learned how to play jazz guitar. I, I knew how to play guitar, but I hadn't played for years. And I'd learned rock. So I basically learned a new style of music and then joined this jazz band and we would play every weekend for a summer and just did stuff to kind of do something completely different, nothing to do with uh, computer simulation and consulting and reports and all those kind of things. I just wanted to to give my brain a, a total break from all of that and uh, and do something very very different. That's pretty cool, man. I think uh, you still you still ha- like uh, play jazz guitar. Or was it just kind of like a phase that you you just no? You know, I I um. Did you sell well, your I guitar? Playing again? Okay. I sold the guitar. Oh man, it was painful. <laughs> that was one of the that was one of the really most painful things to do was to sell the guitar, but I couldn't keep it because there's no way I could take. I had a Fender Stratocaster, a 1972 Fender Stratocaster. I couldn't carry that around South America. So, um, you know, I, I basically had to sell it. And, uh, yeah, that was tough. But um, but I had also that guitar in many ways was kind of a very interesting um, embodiment of a lot of the challenges that I had with minimalism because – I got that guitar when I was a teenager and I played in a band, had a great time. Then I went to university and I got interested in other stuff. I didn't have friends to play with at university, so I stopped playing. But I kept the guitar and I really, I always liked the idea of playing, but I never really played in my 20s. It was just sitting there in the corner of my room. Wherever I moved to, there was this guitar there. And yeah, I would, you know, pick it up every now and again and tinker with it, but I never really played. And in a way, it was just kind of like a piece of furniture that sat there with this reminding me that I wasn't playing it, you know. And finally, when I sold my business, I went back to playing and I played really intensively for a year and it felt good to actually get back into playing again. Um, But once I'd done that, we then had these other things, these other plans, like, okay, we wanted to travel, we wanted to go abroad. So then I had this question, well, what am I going to do? I'm going to put this guitar in storage and then someday get it out of storage again. And I just figured, you know what? No, this is now it's time to finally let go of this fucking guitar. So <laughs> I sold it. And, uh, and, uh, it's now um, the guy who bought it is a, a musician who's, um, touring with it. And so he, That's cool. uh, at least it's, it's getting good use. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so, and, and I just, I think too, for the listeners, um, what, uh, oh, this is an interesting question. So, what all do you own personally? Like, can you carry it all on you? And then also, what about, like, how do you do minimalism with children? Because that's kind of an interesting thing. Because I think more, is most of your stuff your your kids' stuff now at this point? Or is it, uh, because I, I imagine it, it, because I know at one point, like, you got rid of all your books and everything and moved everything to digital. Um, mm. And, but I imagine with kids, like, you got to have a crib, you have to have this stuff. Or maybe you don't like so because I think there's a lot of people that want to go minimalist. And they're like, "Well, I got kids, so how do I how do I do this?" And uh, so I'm, I'm sure you could shed some insight on that, Jake. Yeah, well, I mean, in answer to your first question, yes, I can carry everything in one uh, suitcase in hold luggage and one carry on bag. So my stuff is basically clothes and a laptop and uh, and an iPad and few other bits and bobs like the microphone that I'm talking into, but essentially it's mainly just clothes. Um, and everything else is, is pretty much digital. That's my stuff. Um, my wife's the same. She's, she can carry everything on in one suitcase and, and, uh, 
on Carry On. And then for our daughter, I mean, this is a, a new, we're only six months in, right? So this is definitely going to be an interesting one. But already we're finding that a lot of stuff we just haven't bothered getting because it just it just seems like way more hassle than it's worth. So for example, we don't have a pram, right? We carry my daughter on in, in, in uh, uh, body carrying things like, like, um, uh, like carriers, basically you, you, you kind of, um, it's, it looks a little bit like a rucksack, but it, it, you ha- have the baby on, on the front. Um, and she just sits there and, and we just carry her around like, uh, in one of those, a baby carrier. And it works really well because, um, first of all, she sleeps much better, um, being close to body contact. And, um, you know, it just means that we don't have to keep, uh, taking this pram out and pulling it upstairs and taking it out again and doing all that kind of stuff. So that's, there are some kinds of things that a lot of people get that we just haven't bothered with. Um, but it will be interesting to see. I mean, certainly for example, with toys, I think you can go crazy buying loads and loads of toys when actually most of the things that interest my daughter and not things that we necessarily need to buy. I mean, she's just started eating food. So food is a big fun thing at the moment. You know, we're having a lot of fun with her trying new, new foods. Um, but, um, she has some toys. She's got a, a couple of toys, but once you have a couple of little, little toys, you don't really need to multiply that by 20 and have 20 of these things, you know? So we'll have to see how it goes. I mean, certainly, uh, her needs are going to be, taken into account and it may well be that minimalism does not suit what my daughter needs and if that's the case we're going to stop being minimalist and we'll have to check it out but i'm working from the presumption that we can probably make this work with my daughter having a suitcase and us traveling uh you know with just with in the same kind of way with her having the same amount of stuff in storage uh, in in the luggage that we do um and i think the the thing that makes it easier for us is that we're not doing travel lifestyle where we're moving on every week. You know, we're, we're tending to live in one place for a year and then think about where we're going to go next. So if that means in the meantime that we need to buy something and use it for a year and then sell it again or, or whatever, we can totally do that too, you know? So for example, let's say that we move, um, abroad i mean we're looking at various places that we're thinking about uh to move to next let's say that we do decide okay practically we really need a pram now she's got to have a pram we'll just buy one we'll use it for a year and then we'll either sell it or give it away or or whatever it's not going to we're not going to be buying anything that's so super expensive that it'll be a a major you know uh, money problem to do that um so we'll we'll play it by ear but that's the plan that's awesome. And yeah, and thankfully, because minimalism is such a, it's, it's like picking up. There's all these people that are creating apps so minimalists can sell their shit easier. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. And it's, so it's, it's not, I mean, the longer you wait, the more, the more op places you can try to sell it. I mean, that's, that's the whole thing. I mean, even if, if you bought something now and a year later, there's going to be probably five more different places you could try to sell something. I mean, I know Facebook, Facebook, you can, they have some great sales stuff on Facebook. You can get some good deals if mm. you need something simple. And it's, uh, it's, it's funny when, when, uh, you make it easier for people to just work with each other and cut out middlemen, how much, I don't know, people, there's, people are pretty happy, um, when, when you do that. Um, mm. well, awesome, man. Well, we're just about at an hour, man. And, uh, 
I know you're probably pretty busy. Um, so anything else you want to add before, uh, before we go? No, it's been really fun chatting about it. Just to say, if people are interested, they can find the book for um, job free, four ways to quit the rat race and achieve financial freedom on your terms. They can find it on Amazon under my name, Jake DeSillis. And uh, you can also get links to it on uh, my website, thevoluntarylife.com. If you just click on the tab mark books, then you can find it there. Did you record an audio book for that as well, like you did uh, Becoming an Entrepreneur, or is that on the... I did. Okay, I did. awesome. Yeah, you can get that through Amazon and Audible as well. Awesome. Well, that's great. And uh, I'll have links in the show notes. And uh, everybody that's listening, I highly recommend you listen to uh, Jake's podcast. Jake has a lot of just a lot of good tips and it's, it's really Jake's just sharing stuff that he's doing that helps him and you can, and, uh, his interviews are the same way. They're, they're great interviews just with either people that live in an RV or people that found their way out of the rat race. Um, lots of, lots of cool stuff, man. I always, I really enjoy Jake's show when I do listen to it. So definitely give that a listen. There'll be a link for that in the show notes as well. Jake, thanks so much for uh, for coming on, man. Uh, it's it's nice to talk to you. I think before this, we were just communicating mainly through Fitbit challenges. So uh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> we, we've got to get back to that. We do. Yeah, I just got back into walking again. I actually had this hip injury, and uh, I've been rehabbing it. But finally, I'm getting back to my ten thousand steps a day. To because I got it, and I got to lose weight. Like it was like it's now that I have this time. It's like man, I don't have an excuse to not take care of myself. So. Um, not that I really did when I was working, but it's easier to make excuses then. So yeah, I'm back to it. So I'll, uh, I'll Monday, man, the challenge is coming your way, Jake. All right. It's on Drew. It's on. (laughs) Okay. Well, everyone, thanks again for listening and looking forward to bringing you another episode. Thank you for listening to the voluntary life. If you have feedback about the show, please email Jake at the voluntary life.com. If you enjoyed this program, please share the podcast with your friends or click the donate button on thevoluntarylife.com.